0: Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Anthony Taylor. Thank you so much for joining us today. My guest today is Wesley Middleton. He runs a 100-person accounting firm down in Houston, Texas, and today he joins us to share his best practices for creating culture. Now, when I say best practices, these are things that Wesley has adopted that he's used actionably as he's grown his firm, and I think that they have a lot of value if you take them on within your organization. Again, these things don't take a lot of time, they just take focus. But if you do one or two of them, I'm sure you'll see that there's a huge difference in your people, in your culture, and your team's capacity to execute. And that's really why we're here at the Strategy and Leadership podcast there's you know two sides to every coin on one hand there's the strategy side which is as an organization we specialize in helping organizations like yours create a strategic plan uh, facilitate strategic planning meetings and give you a structure for you able to hit your goals And then on the other side of the coin is the people aspect, the leadership, creating space for your people to be empowered, guiding them into what's important to them and supporting them so they can hit their actions and hit their goals moving forward. So uh, it's important to have both the strategy and the leadership, and we hope that you enjoy this podcast for both of those things. One of the things we'd love to hear from you as well is if you're going through something in your organization, whether it's a planning process, whether it's engaging stakeholders or whatever it happens to be as you move your organization forward, we'd love to hear from you. So you can visit us at Facebook uh, slash SME strategy or SME strategy.net and you can send us a message on the chat box in the bottom corner. We'd love to hear what you're up to. We'd love to share um, something that might make a difference and we may put it on a podcast or a blog if that might help as well because if you're going through something, there's probably someone else around the world going through the same challenge. So be sure to send us your feedback. Any constructive criticism you had for us, uh, we're open to it for sure. Um, And I also want to apologize for the sound quality on this one. I had to do it on the road so it's a little bit echoey on my side so apologize for that. Uh, and finally, it's almost the end of July, which means it's almost fall, people are coming back from vacation, and it starts a new planning cycle for many organizations. So if you and your team are getting together for a strategic planning retreat or offsite, and you're looking for somebody to support you, keep it focused, keep it on task, give it a structure and a process, we'd love to see if we're a good fit uh, to facilitate your meeting, we go all the way across Canada and the US, and also looking at some Europe dates coming up. So, really excited for that. And we hope to be in a city near you. We'd love to chat as well. So, without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's podcast with myself and Wesley Middleton. Enjoy.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, today, I am joined by Wesley Middleton, who is a managing partner at MRZ, a certified public accounting firm down in Houston, Texas. Wesley, how are you today?
2: Hey, I am well. Thank
1: you so much for having me. Well, it's my sincere pleasure. I'm really looking forward to our, our conversation and hearing what you've been up to. So for our listeners, why don't you give us a quick intro about you, what you do,
2: and your background? Sure. So I... I uh Well, first of all, I guess the important thing is, is I I am a certified public accountant and I'm 48 years old with three children. One's grown up and married and then two, I'm still trying to get grown up and married. And so here in Houston, we have an accounting firm. We're nationwide about a top 300 firm and top 25 firm here in Houston in terms of people and revenue. And so we have uh, been in business for five years. This is our fifth year we just completed. We started in 2013 with 18 people and about $2.3 million in revenue And we've grown it to about 90 to 100 people with about $13 million in revenue in this last year. So we've had a huge amount of success in terms of growth and really focused on culture and uh, being uh, a leader in our profession. Cool. I got that. And you are also
1: an author. You're author and speaker. You've also written a book. (laughs)
2: Yeah, so I, a year and a half ago or so, I, I decided to write the story about how we got to where we are and the strategy and the leadership style that we use. And the title of that book is Violent Leadership, and it was published here at the end of November of 2017. Yeah, it's available uh, on Amazon, and I do speak at, at various conferences across the nation in terms of culture and strategy and purpose and just how to build an organization and, and basically just telling our story of how we did it and what maybe you can do and take away something to, to help you in your organization
1: our listeners our managers leaders they are the ones responsible for creating strategy they're responsible for driving strategy and you know in this day and age Culture and people is quickly becoming the glue, or evidently becoming the glue that holds all of that together. And it sounds like you know your ability to drive that culture has been one of the key drivers for your success.
2: Is that accurate? uh, Presentation? Yeah, absolutely. And I believe it's the number one reason. Uh, Culture is our number one priority. We will protect it, defend it. We hire for it. We fire because of it. Everything we do revolves around. Do you fit our culture or do you add something to our culture? Maybe everybody doesn't fit at first. And so it's, it's incredibly important uh, to what we do.
1: What are some of the you know, two or three things that our listeners can take away that they could add into their culture to be able to move towards being a culture-driven organization and one that's performing like you are? So one of the things was hiring for culture. So maybe we can start there. What does it look like to hire for culture or is there a different step in the process there?
2: What we have done is we've broken culture down into five very distinct areas. We call it the five P's of culture, which is the place that we work in, the people we work with, our purpose, our passion, and the practices that we use to, to support our culture. And so people being one of those, those five P's, it's incredibly important. In the book, uh, Good to Great, Jim Collins talked about the bus, You know, not only having the right people on the bus – and the wrong people off the bus, but the right people in the right seats. When we bring people into our organization, culture is the number one reason we bring them in. We figure that we can we can teach the technical aspects of what we do. Those are trainable things that we do. In terms of culture, sometimes those things are just a part of your DNA and who you are. So we measure that and we hire for that. It's not that everybody has to quote-unquote fit our culture, but you have to be additive. You add something to our culture. And, and I tell you, the number one reason that we, we don't keep people is when we finally determine that they are not aligned with our culture, they can be the smartest person in our organization. And it's so important to us that we'll, in a Jim Collins sort of definition, we'll stop the bus and let you off. And so the first thing that we teach when you come in is we spend two hours of, I call it indoctrination. Some people call it brainwashing, right? Where Maybe you're waterboarding people into believing the culture, but it's so important to us that we immerse you in what our culture means. We not only define it, we brand it, we market it internally, we use the hashtag MRZ culture as a hashtag that we just completely uh, immerse ourselves in all aspects of our organization. And so everything that we do does revolve around the people, but it's not just the people, it's, it's all the other aspects that matter. People being one aspect of culture that matters.
1: Maybe I can ask. Oh, first of all, I just put a disclaimer. When Wesley talks about violent leadership, he doesn't mean waterboarding your people.
2: <laughs> it's just, yeah, we have to do that because I get asked that question all the time.
1: Okay, so we'll do that. But first, maybe we can take a step back because there's so much you hear about culture. And I like, got oh, your five P's place, people, purpose, passion, and practices. For somebody who you're a leader and you might not necessarily know where to start when it comes to culture. So where's the starting point? How do you figure out maybe even what your culture is or how do you assess if you have the right culture in the first place? Because I know that there's organizations that we work with that, you know, they have a culture, but it's not the culture they want. So, you know, how do
2: you get that baseline going? There's two types of culture. There's the ones we... that are intentional and that we develop. And there's ones that if we not if we are not intentional about it, they just develop. So you have a culture, right? So whether you want it, like it, whatever the case may be, you have a culture. So when I go into an organization to help them with culture, the very first step that we take is we look for three to five words that describe our culture. It doesn't take long to interview people and go, describe your culture. What What is the word that describes it? Good and bad, good or bad. And then what I ask them to do is, okay, in every one of these words, tell me a practice that you have or something that you do that supports that culture, that defines that. And we usually find something to – I tell people we're going to focus on, on one thing, one thing to start, one thing to stop, and one thing to keep doing. And so when we first define where you are… And then we, we stop and define where you want to be. So if you have made, for example, you have a very, uh, let's call it private culture, maybe, and one that keeps things very close to the vest and you want a transparent culture. And I would say, well, tell me two or three things that happen in your organization that makes you believe that it's, it's not transparent. What, what would that be? And, and, and I get a response. And then you look at it and go, okay, well, you want it to be transparent. So what are the three things we could do? to make this a transparent culture? What what are the things we could follow and steps we could take? And through that process, if you keep it to three to five descriptive words and the practices that support that, I find that you're able to start down the road of evolving from where you are today, which is the most important thing is defining where you are today, to where you want to be. So talking about culture,
1: I really like the stop, start, keep doing, and then putting a gap analysis in place. Well, I'm going to switch gears a lot. Let's say we work with a lot of organizations and we're, we're operating in a dynamic space and we're talking about a culture of, of innovation and risk because, you know, business models now are constantly evolving and constantly changing. You know, when we talk about culture and creating a culture of risk and innovation, you might say that you have to be like willing to fail to be able to do that or, you know, have a will to fail. So can you speak a little bit more about risk and overcoming risk aversion in the pursuit
2: of excellence? Well, you know, that's it's a great subject because in our profession as CPAs, the one thing that's on the top of most CPAs list is risk aversion, right? We're not here to, to be risky. We're here to sign our name to something and, and not willing to take risk. And so that that actually permeates uh, our profession, so that's the one area that I am most in tune with because it's it's something that that we deal with on a regular basis. And you first have to subscribe to the thought that no risk, no reward. And if you don't believe that, it's really hard to to move past that. So it's not just taking risk; it's taking measured risk, right? It's not just going out there and doing things, but it's measuring the risk, it's assessing the risk, it's knowing the consequences. But you have to be willing to take the risk, and that starts with. Rewarding failure. Now, there's a difference in rewarding failure and re- rewarding repeated failure. You know, if you keep doing the same thing and you keep failing at the same thing over and over and over, well, that's not a great thing. But I like, I like the sports strategy, uh, the sports analysis the most. Because if you look at a baseball player, for example, a great uh, hitter in baseball, he fails seven out of 10 times. So it's the at bats that really drive the success and I subscribe to that I believe that the more at bats I get the more times I fail and fail fast and learn from it the more chances I have of of having success we actually encourage and reward failure now again not repeated failure and not to have we don't want failure that's not what we subscribe to but you can't completely penalize people for every failure When they're having a measure of success, and I think human nature is we take the failure. You know, you look at the football coaches in the NFL, and you go one season without winning the Super Bowl, and and if you failed, is it worth sticking with the process and the program that 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 works? And that's the question you have to ask yourself: is am I willing to endure the failures and be okay with that in order to achieve success? So the great thing about that the tech industry has taught us is it's the repeated testing and failure. At leads to an ultimate success. I believe that, that you've got to get comfortable with the belief that if you get enough at bats, you're going to fail a lot of times. But out of all of those no's and those failures, you're going to get a measurable number of success that's going to work for you. But if you don't go to bat, you can't hit the ball. I tell people that about my jokes, is that I figure that if I, get, <laughs> if I get
1: three out of ten jokes, yeah. that I'm good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but some people don't agree. Uh, so yeah. My, Take it real, like dollars and cents. People's jobs, livelihoods are really at stake here. You know, as entrepreneurs, we're we're entrepreneurs here. It's you know, we take it on and say, yeah, we know that risk is a part of success. But you know, if you're a manager and you're trying to create an environment, you know, what can you actually like practically do? What could I do tomorrow to inspire my people to maybe take more risk or to let them know that it's a safe environment where risk, not repeated failure, is supported but encouraged in that pursuit? Like what are some things that they could take away and and act on?
2: Well, you know, one thing that that I've seen happen and that we do is we don't do this specific thing, but I had an organization that did this that I learned from that I thought was an incredible sort of tool was they had this really large green hat. Sort of think of this large sombrero, something of that effect. Every time someone failed in trying, they had to wear the hat for a day. But it was more of a recognition of You tried and failed as opposed to you didn't try. So they would reward people who tried and failed as much as they rewarded those that succeeded. Because it's the trying it and failing that leads to the person that succeeds. And so rather than sort of beat that person up or or, or hide that from the culture, they talk about it. They celebrate it. They learn from it. But it's also sort of a known rule that says, hey, if you fail twice at the same thing, we might have a problem. Because that's not really what we're looking for. We, We are looking for success. It sounds like there 's a fine line
1: between rewarding people 's efforts and expansion out of like what is comfortable for them and then of course you know valuing success and people actually like moving forward on what's important but you know that's one example of taking culture, the culture of risk or the culture of fun, and then incorporating that and in, you know any company can do the same thing or something similar that inspires teamwork because it 's visible it 's out there, people can see it, and it serves as a as a rallying post, like the gongs you might see in a sales room or something like that or in sports teams where you tap the, the words on the wall, it's, you know, that's the rallying point. That's the rallying cry around risk, whether it's a green sombrero or something else.
2: Oh, you're exactly right. It's, and You talk about the sales situation where we celebrate the wins in our organization. We make sure people understand that with this win, came 19 sales or whatever the number is. You got to go, you know what? Let's celebrate this win, but understand how we got here was this person did this effort and failed this many times to achieve. So it's just information, communication, and recognizing the effort that goes into the success. It's not just the success, it's the effort, the failures. And it is failure along the way. And failure being defined as a salesperson hears no a lot of times.
1: Why don't we speak a little bit about the why behind violent leadership and what violent leadership means to you? and uh,
2: why it's important in the world right now. Of course, the term violent in our current state is a very negative uh, word. I've always lived by this. I, I raised in my faith and I believed it. And so the Bible has a scripture you know, to paraphrase says, the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And when you look into the root of those words in the original Greek and Hebrew text, it's not violence like, you know, it's not waterboarding. It's not beating somebody over the head. It's it's speaking to a very passionate and innovative and disruptive a force of a positive force that sees something and takes hold of it and makes things happen. And so I have lived my entire career by that by that scripture. And so uh, as I look back over the last few years, and I wrote this down, it just resonated with me that I should tell people about it, and and I do it mainly because, it, hey, hey, it's true, it's what I've lived by, but it also makes people stop and ask the question, well, what does that mean? And I find many people, just uh, many managers, many leaders who are maybe more passive and 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 just don't take charge of the situation and truly passionate about what they're doing and making things happen. And in this day and time, my philosophy is, if you are not disrupting, you're being disrupted. And I, and I realize it's a very cliche type term today, but you know technology is completely disrupting everything that we are doing as a profession, and everybody's being affected by it. and so I have found out if I'm not the one doing the disrupting, I'm probably being disrupted or being changed. And so that's not the type of leader or the type of organization that I'd like to be. I am one and one that really wants to take control of the situation, be proactive, be disruptive, be passionate, be innovative, make things happen. And that's what that style of violent leadership lends itself to and is explained in the book. I got that. And and yeah, one of the
1: things I'm I'm taking from that is, you know, being a force for change, being uh, a catalyst to making the change that you want to see happen, taking on in whatever way you see. I mean, one of the, my quotes, not from scripture, but it's, uh, you know, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And so, I mean, it speaks to our conversation about values from earlier is, you know, when you have values, it's articulate. Like you put yourself out on the line one way or the other. So if you say, hey, we're risk, we're, we embrace risk, we're embracing risk and we're going to stand for it. Instead of, you know, being halfway one side, halfway the other, you're really not going anywhere versus, you know, digging your feet in and saying, here, here's what we stand for. Here's what our
2: company's about. And you're in or you're out. And really being passionate about that because that passion Is what people feel. They sense that from the leader that you're passionate about in your beliefs. And if they don't feel that and sense that, it just doesn't resonate throughout your organization. When you say the
1: word resonate is really like you can feel the vibrations of the things. And I believe vibrations are a real thing. So, you know, when you say it has to resonate, it's something that people feel it inside themselves and it, it strikes an emotional chord. And especially like in the world that we have right now with so much messaging and so much distraction. That to get from head to heart as a leader to really be able to speak something and hit someone with that, you got to bring the juice. Otherwise, you know they'll just keep going status quo. And we need bold leaders and displaying bold leadership to stand up for what they care about and what's right. And I suppose you know one way or the other, whatever way you uh, whatever way you look.
2: No, no question about that. And and it and it's everything you say, and it has to be intentional. I, I think that you have to be very intentional in, in driving your passion, driving that boldness. And it has to be something you go, I'm going to walk out there and be bold. I'm going to walk up there and be passionate because sometimes we get caught up in everything that we're doing and we forget that, that so many people that we are leading, that are following us, depend upon us setting the temperature and being the leader that we forget about how much we truly affect the people around us.
1: As we conclude here, I really want to get to, if you had you know two to three pieces of advice that you would give to someone who is responsible for leading strategy? Two or three like golden nuggets, they'll say, hey, you know, this is what I do. And this is what's brought me success for my strategy and brought me
2: success for my
1: organization. What would you say those are?
2: I think probably the first one that I have to say is when it comes to culture and being intentional about is a zero tolerance policy. You just have to have a no exceptions rule that says, I'm going to believe what I believe and I'm going to stick with it. The second thing is to listen. Stop talking and listen to the people around you. You know, we we pick on the millennial generation a little bit, and quite frankly, I learn more from from that generation than I do from others just because they're so passionate and so purpose-driven with what they do. And so I find that if I believe what I believe, listen to the people around me, and then I'm intentional in my actions – those are the things that I really believe have led me to success and, and through failures, quite frankly. Is, is, is when you have failures and you're listening and you're believing and seeing around you, you hear very quickly that, you know what, this isn't working or uh, this isn't right. And so uh, those three things have really, uh, I believe, were something I try to impress upon our team here to focus on. Being
1: intentional, listening to people, and I mean, that's that being a stand, like you know, zero tolerance policy and setting the rules. And I imagine that with the
2: things that you stand for, people are clear about them. Is that fair to say? Clarity is so important because the things you think people hear and understand, uh, you know what? They just don't always hear and understand it. And you really have to bring clarity to the vision, the purpose, the strategy. People truly have to understand where they're going. You are the roadmap as the leader.
1: One of the things I was having a coffee with somebody this morning, we're saying that you control half of your messaging. But what you say, people only get half of it. The other half is controlled by what the other person hears and what their perspective on it is. And so it speaks to your, you know, listening, because then you you get the other half back. If you really listen, you can see if people are on board with your strategy, if they know where you're going and they know the things that like the expectations that are there. And otherwise you'll just end up, and I found as a leader being frustrated because they're, well, why don't people listen to me? Why aren't people following the plan? Well, maybe they just didn't hear what you said at a level that you expect. So any other
2: uh, final thoughts you want to leave our guests with today? Uh, happy to be here and talk with you, and, and I hope that somehow something's been taken away, and that if the people that are listening to this can really focus on those five P's in their culture. There's so much information out in our in our uh, environment today that really lends itself to having a great culture. That learn from others, implement it, try new things, don't be afraid, and good things happen. Perfect. And as a reminder,
1: place, people, purpose, passion, and practices are the ingredients to a
2: strong culture. Uh, Wesley, where can people get a hold of you? My website for me personally is WesleyMiddleton.com. My book is on Amazon, Violent Leadership. And our firm uh, website is MRZLLP.com. And so generally, if you find me on LinkedIn, follow me. Or I think I have a blog being posted on your guys' website here pretty soon. So uh, I'm out there. Happy to connect with you. Thank you so much, Wesley. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks. I really appreciate it.
1: I've been chatting with Wesley Middleton, CPA. He's the managing partner at MRZ, which is a certified public accounting firm in Houston, Texas. Thank you so much for joining us on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. And I look forward to sharing with you next time.